We're going to be talking about male uh, headship in the church tonight. Um, this will be uh, kind of the, the end of our part where we're looking specifically at headship uh, and headship in certain areas. Um, so this will be a, a good a good evening for us. Uh, but before that, um, we're just going to watch this video, and then I'm just going to get y'all's comments on it. Okay, so watch it and and be prepared to tell me what you think uh, whenever this video is over. Now to our continuing series of reports this week on Faith in America. Tonight, the men who are working hard to fill the gender gap in the pews. A recent poll showed only 35% of men in this country say they attend weekly religious services. Tonight, NBC's Don Teague reports on a new way to bring the faithful back into the fold. Walk into most churches and you'll probably notice women outnumber men by nearly two to one, and the gap is widening. Christianity is the only major world religion that has a lack of men. Author David Morrow writes about men and faith. He says men just don't relate to what he calls boring music and endless sermons about relationships. There's a widespread perception among men that church is something for women, weirdos, and wimps. No real man would be caught dead in a church on Sunday morning. Except maybe here in Daytona, Florida. All right, good to meet you. John, good to see you back. Welcome to Church for Men. Complete with rock music, pizza, and a man-friendly atmosphere. Our goal is to show them that Jesus Christ is relevant right here in the Salvation Army gym in Daytona Beach. You're God's chosen man. The point of Church for You're Men God's is to chosen. make guys comfortable and, and eventually move them into a traditional church. The women are missing and, and we can just be the guys hanging out. For the record, women are welcome here, but the sermons are focused on man stuff. There's some men in the Bible that struggle with anger and lust. They're also short and set to a countdown clock. God bless you. Bringing men back to the church is about more than just Sunday mornings. It's also about giving them activities they can relate to. Forget bake sales. How about chainsaws? Helping flood victims in Texas clean up. Definitely a job that attracts men. I like being outdoors. As churches across the country work to bring them back to God. Don Teague, NBC News, Marble Falls, Texas. So, what do y'all think about it? a church specifically geared towards attracting men? Good, bad, in the middle? It gets more there. It gets more uh, attendance. Okay. It gets them there. But Brian Williams has been known to embellish stuff. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do we know? Yeah. That may not even be a day to be But he, he said, right. yeah, I know. He said that women are still, you know, welcome there. Okay. Just an all man's church. I mean, um, like the class that Billy runs. Well, I mean, one of the things that was said, though, is that that was done in an effort to decide them to the point where they got involved in the mainstream church, which. That's not a that's not a bad thing. I mean, um, it's not kind of a gateway, right? It's a gateway back into the regular church, right? I mean, when you're talking about guys who weren't going, mm -hmm. I mean, that's an entry point. Mm -hmm. So you you need that. Um, I'm not saying every place right. that that would thrive everywhere, but I mean, apparently there mm -hmm. it was going reasonably well. Right. Maybe there's less distractions if the 
have an art there. It's possible. Yeah. I know that one of the things they said is that men get bored by endless by the worship, by certain style of songs, and by endless sermons about relationships. And um, you know, I've, I've read things about that before, where some men are turned off by the touchy feely side of Christianity. You know, you come. What God, when God described it is, um, we go, we go to, you know, we go to church to talk about how we can have another relationship and sing long love songs about another man. That doesn't really sound like something I want to go be a part of. And if you break it down from an outsider's perspective, you can see how that could be a perception. You know, we come to church, we hear about how we can have a relationship with this man named Jesus, and we sing songs about loving Jesus. Now, would you normally do that? In any other kind of relationship? No, you wouldn't. It's kind of a, you know, so sometimes maybe the way that we present it is it's more feminized or something like that. Um, I mean, we just don't realize that because we grew up around church or, you know, who knows. But the important thing about this, what I wanted to kind of bring up the point is that um, men are vital to the health of the church. You know, he said uh, for every... For every two women, you have one man. So basically, men comprise about 33, 35% of the church. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's a reality. As, as I think about, you know, we're, we're getting too close to Mother's Day and Father's Day. And one of the things we do at Green Acres, we always give a gift on those days. And um, I can always kind of figure, if we are running 150 in worship, well, there's about, you know, 66% of that's women and 30, you know, 30 to 40%, you know, whatever is, is men and kind of judge what we order as far as flowers and stuff like that um, based on those numbers. And so it's a reality in just about every church uh, that you go to, um, which is a sad situation because men are supposed to be leading in the church. And um, for the church to be the healthy church that it was designed as, it needs strong male leadership. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about today, talk about the uh, headship in the church, male headship in the church. So first thing I want to look at is the case uh, for male headship in the church. Um, and we're just going to kind of read, we're going to read these scriptures and then kind of synthesize and put them, put them together. So um, you'll, if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Titus. Uh, those are the three passages that we will look at primarily. And then the other verses as we go through will be there on your, on your guide. Um, now, 1 Timothy and Titus are uh, considered pastoral epistles. What that means is they were written by Paul to Timothy and Titus to tell them how to be pastors in the church and how to lead the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians is not a pastoral epistle, but it does contain a lot of information about how the church should function. It talks about discipline, uh, talks about pastoral leadership, talks about spiritual gifts in the church. Um, so this is also a, a fitting uh, passage for us to look at. Um, so uh, let's read 1 Timothy 2, um, 8 through 15. Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments, but rather by means of, uh, of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Um, and so that's our, uh, that's our first passage. So it talks about uh, how men and women are supposed to function 
um, in the church, and uh, the kind of the key verse for our discussion today uh, is it talks about verse 12. I do not, or verse 11 uh, and 12. I'm, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And so we'll keep that in mind, and we'll come back and, and look at that in a moment. Let me, um, let's jump over to 1 Corinthians and have a look at what 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a, a similar echo, but it, has, it goes along with this. So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And so when you put those two passages together, you, you see it in here in this passage um, that he gives a... He gives an outline of headship. He starts with God. He says, actually, he finishes with God, but that's the beginning of the headship map. So the end of verse 3 says, God is the head of Christ. And so we talked about, when we started talking about this headship idea, that even within the Trinity, there is an uh, understanding of headship. Uh, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the designer or the leader within this Trinity. So we talked about how the Trinity is not a hierarchy of uh, levels of importance. They're all equal. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, all three God, you know, all three persons of the one God, all three representations of the one God. But within this unity of equal persons, you do have a hierarchy of authority. God the Father dictates what is going to happen to the Son. The Son dictates what's going to happen to the Spirit. And so there is an, an order of submission on the case of the, of the Son and the Spirit. And so God is the head of Christ. And he says that Christ is the head of every man. So underneath Christ's headship is men. Um, man, and, and whenever he talks about man right there, he's not, talking about every man, he's not talking about mankind because he says Christ is the head of every man. So he, he's talking about individuals. So every individual man, Christ is the head. And so Christ is your head as men. He is, you are under his authority, under his lordship. And he says that the man is the head of a woman. Uh, now, does it say that man is the head of every woman? No. Because that would mean that I have authority over your wife, and you have authority over my wife, and we have authority over single ladies and stuff like that. Is that the case? No. I'm glad that I don't have authority over your wives. I've got one wife, and that's all that I need to have authority over. Um, you don't have you don't need to amen that, okay? <laughs> um, but we have authority over our wives. We have, uh, you know, we are equals, just as in the Trinity. <clears throat> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. Me and Melody are equals in value, equals in image-bearing capability. But in the creation, God established men first as an authority. And so I am in the authority in our, uh, in our relationship. And so this, gives a, this passage here gives a, a, a levels of authority and kind of a chain of authority. And then that passage that we just read in, in 1 Timothy um, refers to this as being in the created order. This, this idea comes from the created order. So the one in 1 Corinthians tells us what that created order is. And then 1 Timothy 2 that we just read points to the fact that this arrangement in the church is based off that. So um, he says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And then verse 13 of 1 Timothy 2 says, For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So Paul's basis for saying that in the church, men have authority and women are to learn in quietness and submissiveness 
is based in the creation account. He goes back and he says that God created men first, and that is his basis for saying that. Did you have a um, Recently, I was, there was a church member not here had a problem with our Sunday school teacher who was female. Mm -hmm. And he quoted some of those, Timothy, because your church kind of runs, you run the church like Timothy uh, mm -hmm. has written. Um, so is he legalistic? Um, if he doesn't want to sit in that class where a woman is teaching? I don't think, oh, let's see. I'm going to make sure I answer the right way. I would say that from what I've, what I've read and studied, I think that's a misinterpretation. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a, just a moment. Um, cause that, because that's the key question. Does that mean that no woman whatsoever can ever teach a man? And so I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that kind of gives the, the basis for, for male headship. Now let's talk about the description of elders. Now I know that um, we are a... Uh, we're not an elder-run church, so I don't want to get the understanding that um, I'm advocating for a, you know, an elders-led church and like that. Um, we, uh, now, Green Acres as a whole functions as a single elder church. What that means is that we have uh, a single elder who is the primary leader of our church, and that's David Dax. Brother David is our primary single elder. Um, and then underneath that, we have deacons. Uh, at the Tyler campus, the deacons are... Uh, um, you know, in, administrative body, they vote and they decide on, on different things. Um, and then with underneath that, we have committees. And can, there's nothing in the Bible about committees, right, Rusty? <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about committees. But, um, but underneath the leadership of a primary elder, the Bible does allow for men of leadership to function in groups. We see that happening in, uh, even as far back as Moses. When Jethro said, hey, you're going to wear yourself out, you're judging everybody. Find for yourself wise men and put them uh, in charge of, of clans and groups, you know, in tens and twenties and all this kind of stuff. And so there's a there's an understanding of delegating authority to groups of people, and hopefully that's what a church does. I believe our church functions well that way. Um, our committees are not power hungry, power grabbing groups of people, but people who just desire to serve and who've been given authority and the leadership to serve by the church. Um, but in describing elders, I believe. Um, all men should aspire to be the kind of man that would qualify as an elder. Now, there could be things in your life that, um, you know, that are still struggles for you and that would disqualify you as being the candidate for an elder right now, but that's okay. You need, to, well, that's not okay, but it's, it's okay that we're not all, you know, in the same discipleship level and we're all aspiring to become men who would qualify as an elder. This is kind of like the the, the pinnacle of what we should be aspiring to be. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we're going to read this whole section. It says, um, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to do the, to the office of overseer, um, which overseer is just the same, same description as an elder or pastor, um, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnaciousness, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. 
Um, he goes on to describe deacons uh, with much of the same description, so we, we won't read that part. But basically, he lines out what you should look for in a pastor or, or an elder, or, um, somebody who has a, a position of authority uh, in the church. Uh, and I believe that even though this is referring specifically to pastors or elders or, um, and then below their deacons, that really this should be all of us as men. All of us as men should be looking towards um, becoming a man like this. But I believe that what um, these descriptions of elders do is it, it places within this biblical definition an understanding that elders and pastors will be, and deacons, elders, pastors, and deacons are men. And uh, one of the reasons that we can see that is that they use the pronoun he all the way throughout this. Uh, he must be above reproach. Uh, it's a fine work that he desires to do. He must be the husband of one wife. It would be hard for a female to qualify for that, right? Um, and so the elders in Timothy and, and in Titus, um, we're not going to go to First Titus 1, 5 through 9 because it echoes just a lot of what is said here. Elders are expected to be men. Pastors are expected to be men. So male headship is something that was in the design of the church from the New Testament. Um, some people have made the claim that this was cultural, um, but there's nothing within the text to, uh, to make that claim based off of. You have to make that claim based off of outside sources. There's nothing within the text that specifically points to the fact that Paul would be saying that women are not allowed to be elders because of some kind of thing happening in the city or in that church. Um, we do know that, you know, like in the church in, in Corinth, there were some women that were stirring up, you know, dissension and stuff like that, so Paul addressed that specifically. Um, but there's nothing in this to, to show that uh, he was specific, speaking specifically to a cultural situation. And so I think that these scriptures make a really good case that um, men are supposed to be in the leadership of the church, that men are supposed to carry the authority and the guidance of the church family, uh, and the women are not. Not that women can't hold leadership positions, but men are supposed to be the primary leaders. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, we are a committee-run church. That doesn't mean that one of our committees uh, can't have a woman who is chairing our committee. It's absolutely fine, because that, that committee, while it has a responsibility in the church, it's not a position of authority. Ultimate authority goes back to the church, uh, because we are, a, we are a Baptist church. We believe in the autonomy of the local church, and the gathered body of believers are the ones who decide the direction of the church under the guidance and the headship of Christ. And so a woman can lead a, lead a committee. Uh, we have right now our um, children's search committee, and the chairman of that is Chris Moore. Uh, and I, I, I was uh, the one who recommended her because I believe she'll do a fantastic job in seeking that out. Um, but that's not a, a, a position of authority. That, that position will ultimately come back underneath the leadership of the church to agree with the decision that that group makes. Um, and so we will not have women as deacons. We'll not have women as, as pastor elders in our church because we just don't, we don't believe in that. But we do believe that they can have some positions of, of responsibility. And so let's look at some conclusions based on these, uh, these scriptures. Um, for one, let me, <clears throat> let me get to uh, our thing here. So conclusions. For one, Paul bases headship in the church on the reality of headship in the Trinity and at home. And so... Um, so that's that first thing we looked at, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. He bases headship in the church on the reality of headship in the Trinity and the home. So he's not just pulling this out of air and putting a bunch of preferences about what he likes on paper. He's basing it, well, he said a while ago, on the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and then 
uh, Christ under men and men under women. It's something that was a part of the design of creation and the design of God himself. Uh, it comes from the nature of who God is. Um, we can conclude based on these that godly men are to be the primary teachers in the church. Um, talking about uh, deacons and elders, uh, one of the qualifications for deacons and elders is uh, that he be able to teach. That, uh, not that he be the world's most foreknown and capable, eloquent speaker, but that he be able to teach. Uh, and that's a key, that's a key thing. Um, all, of, all of men who aspire to become a, an elder or a leader in that kind of capacity of the church need to be able to teach somebody else. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, um, Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about how he should disciple the men in his church. And he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach the faithful men who will teach others. And so you see four levels of discipleship. You see Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others. And so all of these levels should be capable of teaching other people to help them become disciples of Christ. So godly men are to be the primary teachers in the church. Godly men hold the leadership authority in the church. Um, uh, back in, in uh, 1 Timothy 2, uh, Paul's talking about these, you know, how women are to act and how men are to act. Uh, it says a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. The reciprocal of that that you can discern is that men are to teach and have authority. And so men are to be the primary teachers in the church, and godly men are to hold their leadership authority in the church. And so let's address that question that, that, uh, that Richard asked. What about a woman teaching a Sunday school class where men are in that class? Uh, one of the primary t places where this has uh, erupted as a question um, in the Southern Baptist Convention is with Beth Moore, the one that the ladies are, are watching right over there. Beth Moore teaches a, uh, a large class at, um, I want to say it's Second Baptist Church in Houston, but it could be First Baptist. I, I can't remember. Which one? Second Baptist, okay. Um, she teaches a large class, uh, you know, bigger than most churches in America is her Sunday school class. And in that class are men and women. And so Beth Moore is teaching a class where men and women sit underneath her teaching, her instruction. And so a lot of people in the Southern Baptist Convention especially has raised the question, is that okay? Is it okay for men to sit underneath Beth Moore's teaching? Because she's a woman. Um, <clears throat> and so based on Scripture, I believe, and this is, um, you can find people that disagree. Uh, I don't know what Brother David's opinion on this would be, or if Green Acres has an official opinion on this. And so please accept this as my reading of the text and my understanding of the text. Um, I believe that women are able to teach men as long as they're not teaching it in a capacity where they have authority over those men. And so let me give you an example. Acts 18, this is on your page here. Acts 18, there's a 24 through 26 says this. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. <clears throat> he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila um, heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And so what this says right here in this text is that Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple who lived in Ephesus, who Paul has left there as he moved on with his ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, man and wife, both took Apollos under their wings, and it says they taught him. It doesn't say that they welcomed him into their home and uh, Aquila taught him. It says Priscilla and Aquila, they taught Apollos 
um, be explained the way of God to him more accurately. So that means that Apollos, a man who uh, after this is described as being a strong evangelist uh, in the, in the, for the sake of the gospel, um, was taught by a woman. Um, she, they're in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila are active in the church in Ephesus. They're leaders in the church in Ephesus. They're respected by Paul, mentioned by him multiple times. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, a man and a woman, taught Apollos. And so I believe there in Scripture you can see that in no way is it looked down on or said in, in a disdainful way that a woman was teaching a man. However, this is not in any way showing that she has authority over him. Um, and nowhere in Scripture do we see any situation where a woman has uh, authority in the church, where she is speaking or teaching or standing up and saying, this is what we are to do as a church. And I believe that's where, that is where I think the distinction lies. Um, that's why I think you should not have a woman as your primary pastor. And, um, and really, I should, probably not, I should probably not say primary. I should just say you should not have a woman as a pastor. Um, because pastors have authority in the church. Um, Boogie is a, is a youth pastor. He has authority in, the, in our church. He has authority um, you know, based upon that, that role and that title. He is an authoritative figure in our church. Gary is a, a, a music minister, but I, I believe he's got pastoral responsibility there. Um, and he is over adults. He leads adults in that worship setting. And so he has a position of authority. Um, our children's minister um, will primarily be working with children. And so I believe that that could be filled by a, a woman and, um, and that she could be teaching of children and be okay in that capacity. I don't consider that a pastoral role um, uh, within the church as far as having authority over men. Now, Moogie, he's teaching teenagers, but he's also teaching 18-year-old boys. Um, he's teaching young men. And so I believe that they need that male authority figure over them and that that role needs to be a man. And so for a woman to be able to stand up on the stage and preach the message of the gospel as a representative of the church, that carries with it authority. Um, and so um, for a woman to... Uh, <clears throat> and so that, that carries with it authority because it is the... Uh, Leadership of the church speaking a word to the congregation, men and women, saying this is what the church believes and this is what we are to do as a church. Now, in a Sunday school class, um, I think that's different because you can choose whether to go to that Sunday school class or not. Uh, there's nothing authoritative about that position. Now, she's hopefully, she or he, whether it's a man or a woman, is teaching the truth of the scripture and teaching in agreement with the beliefs of the church. But that position with, by itself does not carry any kind of authority church-wide. Um, you know, you don't like the fact that she's a woman or the fact that she says something or another, just pick up going in the class. You know, there's nothing, there's no authority there. So that's my take on how that is different. Any of you guys want to comment or add to that? You can disagree with me. It's okay. I won't kick you out. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I never really had a problem with it, but I, I just, this guy just seems to be really legalistic and he takes... He doesn't try to read anything into it. He just he doesn't really interpret it. He just what it says is what it is. Right. So, yeah. Well, for me, uh, and I'll be honest, my some I have some seminary professors who disagree with that. What I just said. Um, they would say no. A woman does not need to teach in any capacity. She's teaching a man. Um, Here's I got a thought on that. It, okay. it agitates me, but I know that um, Satan has done a great job at, at degrading, degrading men throughout. 
our entire culture mm -hmm. and taking men out of headship roles and putting women in them and and done a great job of just crushing us mm -hmm. you know um, I took I got kind of offended by the way they did that whole thing on there um, they they even it's kind of like talking about the macho man thing you know I mean mm -hmm. I had no way of been going to church all my life, you know, and, and I'm a man's man, and I'm not, I don't feel like I, that uh, I need to go to a special church mm -hmm. to teach it a special way to, to, I guess, hold my ego up, you right. know, I mean, that's not the way Christ teaches you, teaches you to be humble, mm -hmm. uh, so that was really, that was kind of in a, a, a I guess, a secular or non-secular, which is that, no, um, secular, yeah. uh, their, their point of view. Yeah. Um, as far as I don't know Beth Moore I, my wife's been listening to her uh, yeah. and I think that if, if the Lord puts you in a position where you can minister to others man or woman and you are like you said you know going by the Bible and you're mm -hmm. and you are leading right. um, and that the Lord has put you in that uh, I think that's also probably because a man hasn't stood up in that place mm -hmm. and done that right um, so us as men need to start stepping up mm -hmm. Now, I think what you said is, is a key issue. Um, you know, my question for somebody like that would be, well, why hasn't a man stepped up in that role to teach in that way? Why is a woman having to fill that role? Because um, we as men have capacity to speak into a woman's life. Uh, we obviously won't have the, the same experiences of a woman speaking to a woman. Um, but we as men are called to, to honor women, to elevate them. You know, the, as, our, as men in marriages, we're supposed to be Loving our lives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, in all ways, sacrificing ourselves for the good of her and for uh, helping her to become what she is called to be. Um, and I believe that's what the men's role is in the church as well. Um, you know, if men are serving the church well, it's going to be a place where women can thrive in their growth and discipleship and spirituality with the Lord. Um, so, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. So those are some conclusions that we can come to um, based on... Uh, these readings of the headship of the church, but um, <clears throat> let's look at uh, uh, real quick. Let's look at men's role in the church. So how does this kind of flesh flesh itself out? Um, I believe that uh, as we as we look at this, we'll see that uh, faithful men will prepare themselves to lead in a spiritual capacity in the church. Um, the, uh, the qualifications of the elders, First Timothy three two through seven, that we just said, and in Titus chapter one, um, these are good qualifications for all men. This is not just limited to elders. Anybody who is a man should strive for those qualifications to be, or those descriptions to be in his life. Um, you know, somebody who's uh, you know not a drunkard, not short-tempered. You know, these are things for good qualities for any man. Um, <clears throat> so I believe that uh, a faithful man, leadership in the church, will lead in a spiritual capacity, uh, will prepare themselves to lead in a spiritual capacity in the church. So, um, <clears throat> uh, so to do that, any man who desires to serve in the church must be devoted to God's Word. Uh, I do believe that if you are not devoting yourself to the reading and study of God's Word, you're not qualified to be in leadership in the church, not just as a pastor elder, but in any kind of leadership role. Um, I hope that as we continue to fill committees, positions, and things like that, we look at people who are spiritually uh, growing in their faith. Now, now, one thing that's important to realize is we don't have to be on the same level. Now, Caleb and I were talking about this as we were driving around today, that um, some people's uh, capacity for knowledge, insight, and application of Scripture is greater than others. And that doesn't say anything negative about that person. 
uh, it just means that some people have a greater capacity for reading the scripture, digging stuff out of it, and applying it. An example that I used is uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, if you guys have read C.S. Lewis's work or heard about C.S. Lewis, you know that he just has a tremendous depth in his understanding of scripture, and not just the surface level of scripture, but to dig down deep and find depth of stuff that I just, I read through it, and I'm like, how in the world did he find that? Because it's true, it's, you know? And then he applies it in unique ways. And what's true about C.S. Lewis is that he came to Christ later in life. I'm not sure what his age was, but, you know, 40s, something like that. He came to Christ later in life. And so, um, so me, as coming to Christ when I was 13 years old, I'm going to have longer to live my life as a Christian, hopefully, um, than C.S. Lewis did. But I do not believe, now I hope that this is not true, but I really don't believe I will ever have the depth of insight and the ability to apply that to people's lives that he did. Now, that does not mean that I'm less of a believer. That doesn't mean that God is less pleased with me. That just means that C.S. Lewis and the way that God wired him just had a depth that I may not attain to. Um, I may have a depth that somebody else does not attain to. Um, Many of you in this room probably will have a depth that I don't attain to. That doesn't say anything about us as people. Um, that just means that we're all on this trajectory of becoming like Christ, but we're going to be at it in different places. Um, and so um, we don't need to. So the key is we need to devote ourselves to God's Word and make that our primary uh, descriptor of our lives, and not look around and say, "How do I, how do I compare to Him? How do I compare to Him?" But just be pursuing God's word. Yeah, so kind of what you just mentioned there at the last. You know, how I used to do that because you know I couldn't really get into it because you know with my dyslexia, picking up the Bible maybe. But you know, here I kind of get it now. I've been going to see all for four years now. But uh, you know, Monday nights and then Wednesday night here, and then Thursday night again with see all, and then uh, Sunday church. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten me more involved into the Bible and learning in that way. Mm -hmm. And then, like, there's been some when David's been talking about what we do with CR because CR goes by the Bible. Right. And, that, and that's how we're supposed to live. Mm -hmm. We can't live without the Bible. Right. And, that, and I think it's really helped me get more down and, and focus in how to come more involved with the Bible and get into it deeper. Yeah. You know? It's really helped me out a lot. So, yeah. yeah that's good. Um, all right, and so uh, the, the key. So the key is not that we're held to the same center of death, but we're all expected to be heading in the same direction, uh, which is Christ's likeness. Um, so that's what we need to be striving for. Um, and then finally, we're going to have to just stop here once we get to watch, and we'll pick this up next time. But um, men should embrace and use their spiritual giftings to build the church and to strengthen the church. Um, we're supposed to be the, the ones building the church, building the body of believers and strengthening the body of believers. Um, and this comes right back to the fact that men have the primary responsibility of teaching um, in the church. Uh, and uh, we see that clearly in Scripture. Apostles were all men. All the elders were supposed to be men. Um, and we need to, uh, to strengthen the body of believers. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. So we obviously got off on you know, lots of good topics today. We're not going to get finished, but that's all right. So um, hold on to your papers. We'll finish up watching worship next week as we... Uh, jump into our, our next study, but